Christmas. There was a little girl murdered over in the park tonight. Yes, I heard. A high school girl's been murdered. Mr. Harrison's daughter is missing. And now at the house where she lives, the other girls are getting obscene phone calls. Hello? Remember those idyllic scenes out of your childhood? Crisp winter nights, sleigh bells, crackling yule logs. Remember those. Remember them well. After Black Christmas, they'll never be the same again. Black Christmas. Starring Olivia Hussey, Keir Dulay, Margot Kidder, and starring John Saxon as Lieutenant Fuller. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. Anyway, we're going to get on to the holiday happenings real quick now. 
WFBC. So stay and smile a while. All right, let's get into Black Christmas. Now, Black Christmas was made in 1974, and it's directed and produced by a fella named Bob Clark. Now, Bob Clark, he's a fella who is responsible for Porky's 1 and Porky's 2. He wrote and directed those. Plus, he did another Christmas-themed movie called A Christmas Story, which is real popular. It's about that kid who wants to buy himself a Red Rider BB gun, as folks keep telling him, you're going to put your eyes out with that. Well, the Porky's and the Christmas Story, those are Bob Clark's most famous movies. So he did those uh, Porky's 1 and 2 and Christmas Story. He did those all in 82 and 83. But before that, 1972, he wrote, produced, and directed one of my favorite movies. It's called Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. Now that same year, he was a producer on the movie, our second feature, Deranged, which is coming up right after Black Christmas. Now Bob's not, not got a credit in that movie, but he's a producer on it, and it's well known. Now both these movies are supposed to be set in the United States in the upper Midwest, but are actually shot in Toronto, Canada. And both of them have a, something to do with Bob Clark was involved, and an actress named Marion Waldman, who plays a character named Mrs. Mack in this movie. And she also plays one of them. Well, you'll see what she plays in the next movie coming up in Drains. All right, so our movie opens up, and there's a creep. We see him through a POV, which means a point of view shot. And he's creeping around outside the sorority house, and we hear him going, ah, ah, ah. So let's cut to the action right now. Creeps creeping around outside the sorority house. Jesse, and she's played by Olivia Hussey. 
Okay, so Olivia Hussey, she was born in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and then she moved to England at an early age, and she started getting into acting very young, and by the age of 15, she was uh, starring in, uh, as, a ro as a character Juliet in uh, Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, which was a uh, uh, 1968 version that ended up winning her some golden clothes. So you know you got a talented gal here. She can be doing Shakespeare at the age of 15, you know, professionally. That's pretty amazing. You know, all, all the actors in this movie are real top-notch. You know, a couple times I do movies on Haunted Check Theater and, and I look up these actors and actresses, and that's the only movie they've done. This ain't the case with Black Christmas. These are all professionals who have done pretty extensive uh, uh, things. I've got a whole list of stuff in front of them. Now, one more thing about uh, Olivia Hussey. At one point, she was married to Dean Paul Martin, who is the uh, son of the great singer Dean Martin, who's like a hero of mine. You know, Dean Martin is just just incredible. But uh, anyway, let's get to Margot Kidder. Now, Margot Kidder is most famous for she was the Lois Lane character in uh, Superman uh, 1, uh, 2, and 3. Those are the ones with, uh, uh, with Christopher Reeve. Now, she was also in uh, the Amityville Horror. She played Kathy Lutz in the 1979 Amityville Horror. Now, uh, it's pretty weird watching uh, 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 Margot Kidder in this movie because she plays a drunk and she's kind of a sad character. She's drinking and she's really kind of upset, but she's making foul jokes all the time and everything. Because in real life, you know, Margot Kidder kind of lost her mind and... Uh, well, let me just read this from the from the biography on the internet here. It says, uh, in 1996, as she was preparing to write her autobiography, she became she began to become more and more paranoid. When her computer was infected with a virus, this gave her paranoia full reign, and she sank into a bipolar disorder. She panicked, and the resulting psychological problems she created for herself resulted in her fantasizing that her first husband was going to kill her, so she left her home and faked her death, physically altering her appearance in the bargain. Wow, that's crazy. Here's another thing that says, her much publicized behavior in 1996 was due to manic depression. She was living in a state of paranoia, convinced that her first husband was trying to kill her. Kidder, Kidder soon lived as one of the homeless. She narrowly escaped being raped and wandered about the streets of Los Angeles, barely recognizable after cutting off her hair and removing some of her dental work before hiding underneath a family's porch that was located near the studio where Superman, 1978, was filmed. Wow, so Margot Kidder has had some demons in her life, but uh, it's crazy, so it's, it's weird, real weird to watch her just, just playing a lush, but anyway, let's, let's, I'll save the best for last here, and that's Andrea Martin, now she's one of my favorite funny ladies, because she really is funny, uh, my may sound sexist here, but I don't think a lot of women are that funny, but Andrea Martin, goddamn, she's funny, now what she's most uh, famous for, is she was like Edith Prickly and everything on a uh, Mrs. Falbo on uh, Second City TV, which had, uh, that was sort of like Canada's version of Saturday Night Live, except it was funny. Uh, now, I'm going to play you a little clip right here, and she's playing a character named Mrs. Falbo, who is sort of a, a kind of a takeoff on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and Mrs. Falbo has a um, assistant named Mr. Messenger, who is played by John Candy, who's 
also very funny and Canadian. And uh, in this scene, uh, Mrs. Falbo is looking through her uh, magic telescope at the characters, and she finds the queen and king puppet uh, going at it uh, sexually. So uh, that just kind of sets up the clip. Let me just play it for you, and then we'll get back to the movie. Well, it's story time, boys and girls. Why don't we look through the magic telescope and see what the king and queen are up to? Yes! Oh, my liege. Down on all fours, my lady. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, uh, right there. Good. Don't stop. Oh. Well, Mrs. Fable picked the wrong time to visit the king and queen. It's not nice to ease up on people. Mr. Messenger. Mrs. Falbo. Yes. A message from His Royal Majesty the King. Oh, what is it? Oh, it's a decree. Well, hurry up then. Dear Mrs. Falbo. Yes. Tell the boys and girls not to watch bad theater. What? Something like that. He was ranting and raving. That's the message? It's the best I could get. Oh, my. My pencil broke. Oh. Thank you very much, boys and girls. Goodbye. Sorry, Mrs. Falboy. You stay there. I'm sorry, Mrs. Falboy. I'll be right out. Talk to you. Can I look through there, Mrs. Get! One try. Uh, are they still at it? Yes, Mrs. Falboy. Come along, then. Could you drive me home, Mr. Messenger? Yes, Mrs. Falboy. Oh, right, Mrs. Falboy doesn't feel very well. Let's get back to Black Christmas. Okay, so Andrea Martin, she's playing a gal named Phyllis. And then we got Margot Kidder, she's playing a gal named Barb. And then we got Olivia Hussey, and she's playing Jess. Now, there's another girl, uh, and her name is Claire Harrison. And now, Claire Harrison is played by a gal named Lynn Griffin, who didn't do a whole other lot of things, so I won't get into her. But Claire Harrison, pay attention to her, because she's going to go wandering around uh, the sorority house by herself. And remember, there's a killer, or, well, somebody is in the attic, and they breathe heavy, and they're acting real creepy. Let's get back to the movie. Oh. By the way, how come I was the only one there working tonight? We were there this afternoon, Bart. A likely story. How's it look? Eulish, very Eulish. Have you got your Santa Claus suit ready? Yeah. What time do little bastards arrive? About one o'clock. Hello? Pardon? Who? Bob, it's for you. Long distance. Oh, great. Hang on, I'll take it in the other room. That was Olivia Hussey answering the phone and uh, handing it over to Marco Kidder. What you're listening to is the killer creeping around inside the attic of the sorority house. What's coming from the other end? Can you? Yeah. Fine, okay. Party's over. Come on, all the men out. Come on. 
we're just having a little party. No, I've had a couple. Oh, come on, I'm not drunk. No, no, um, I have some stuff to do in the afternoon, and then I was just going to get the, the 720 train into the city. Now, the creeper is creeping around in the house now. He's come down from the attic, and he's creeping around the sorority house while the girls are having their party. Come on, you got to be kidding. <laughs> yeah. You want to go skiing for a few days? Yeah, sure, Bob. My mother's taking a place up at Mont Holly's. Anyone else want to come? Yeah. Sounds like fun. Great. How about you, Claire? Uh, no thanks, Barb. I've made some other plans. Okay. Hello? 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 Hey, quiet! It's him again! The Mona! Now, this is Olivia Hussey, uh, uh, Jess, and she's on the phone uh, with the with a creep. He's expanded his act. Could that be one person? No, Claire, that's the Mormon Tabernacle Choir doing their annual obscene phone call. You go find a wall socket and stick your tongue in it. That'll give you a charge. I'll stick my tongue up your pretty pussy. You fucking creep! I'm going to kill you. Well, super tongue strikes again. Fastest tongue in the West. That was sick. I really don't think you should provoke somebody like that, Barb. Oh, listen, this guy's minor league in the city. I get two of those a day. Maybe. But you know, that town girl was raped a couple of weeks ago. Darling, you can't rape a townie. You really are too much, Barb. 
Oh, come on. This is a sorority house, not a convent. I'll see you later. I'm going to go pack. Players goes upstairs to go pack. Come on, Claire. She didn't mean anything. No, really, Jess. It's okay. I have to finish packing anyway. Hasn't she had enough trouble fitting in here without you getting at her all the time? Come on, I know a professional virgin when I see one. I can't get a hand out here. Speaking of professional virgins, here we have the Queen of Vaudeville, circa 1891. Oh, Mary's again! I've been shopping. You know, I think the stores must take tacky lessons this time of year. I never saw such a bunch of Mrs. Mack, come in the other room. We've got a surprise for you. Come on, so now uh, Mrs. Mrs. Mack shows up, and Mrs. Mack is played by Marion Waldman. Now, Marion Waldman is also going to be in the second feature for tonight, Deranged. And in both movies, she kind of plays a, a comic relief. In this one, she's kind of the, the den mother of the um, sorority house. She's supposed to be in her 50s, and she kind of takes care of the house and watches over the gals. But she has little bottles of booze that she's hidden all over the place, like in books and drawers and in the toilet and different places. So that's all. The comic relief is kind of watching her going around and taking nips off her hidden bottles all over the house. Now, in 2006, this movie, Black Christmas, was remade, and it really wasn't necessary because uh, I, I just didn't think it was necessary. But anyway, uh, Andrea Martin played the role of Mrs. Mack in that movie, Andrea Martin, who plays Phyllis. And so now, um, we will no longer mention that movie again. Now, let's cut to Claire Harrison, and she's upstairs in a room with a cat, Claude. He's a big, fluffy Persian cat, and she's petting Claude. been looking all over for you. Oh, little puss. Hello. Go on now. Got some things to do. Let's see. Take her body back up into the attic. 
Mommy, 
mother, as sure as there's an X in Christmas, you can be sure those are Tiny Tim chestnuts roasting. Tiny Tim chestnuts are full-bodied, longer-lasting. This visible shell protects the nut. Now with XK29 added for people who can't roast after every meal. Tiny Tim, Tiny Tim, chestnuts all the way. Tiny Tim's roast hot like a chestnut hot. And they are mild, 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 mild. Hey, creep. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to the Haunted Shack Theater. Okay, now, so now we go back and Jesse's at the sorority house and uh, the phone rings. And you know it's... Uh, when the phone rings in this movie, it's a good possibility it's going to be our creep. again. Billy! Billy? Um, I'm sorry, you have the wrong number. What your mother and I must know is... Where did you put the baby, Billy? You've got the wrong number. Where did you put Agnes, Billy? Billy. Look, I'm telling you, you have the wrong number. What your mother and I must know is... Billy! So Claire's dad and a few of the college students, uh, a friend of Claire's, they all go down to the local police station and they, they report that Claire's missing. Now while all this is going on with Claire Harrison and the, and the sorority house and the killer in the sorority house, a little 13-year-old girl happens to go missing and so her mother goes down to the police station and, uh, and starts talking to one of the officers named uh, Lieutenant Fuller. Now, Lieutenant Fuller in this movie is played by John Saxon. Now, John Saxon, uh, he, he's been in so many great movies. Uh, he, he's just an incredible, incredible guy. Uh, he, he's been in so many movies, and he's a, he's a type of type of guy that uh, if he's in a movie, I'll watch it just to, just to see what he's doing, you know, even if it's something real stupid. Uh, he's one of those guys that, that just brings something good to whatever he does. He, even if the material's not good, he'll he'll do it good. But yeah, he was a big uh, got a big martial arts career because uh, he's a black belt in real life, and he used to do uh, kung fu theater down here in uh, La uh, Los Angeles. He used to host kung fu movies. Uh, have, have a listen to you. some of the movies that John Saxon's been in. In, in 1965, uh, uh, he was in a thing called uh, The Night Caller from Outer Space. And that's a great movie. And then he was also in a thing called uh, the, the Queen of Blood. Yeah, The Queen of Blood from 1966. And now that had Basil Rathbone and Dennis Hopper in it. Uh, and even had Forrest J. Ackerman. Now, let me just say a little something. Uh, last show, we did the scalp show, and I wished Forrest J. Ackerman his, his happy 92nd birthday. And in the meantime, by the time I did that show and the time this came out, well, Uncle Forrest, he's, he done passed away. He passed away in uh, uh, last week time, and so... So I'll tip our hat to Uncle Forey. Uh, I don't know if I'd be doing this cast right now if it wasn't for Uncle Forey. And I, I'm just one person. There's no, you, man, that, that fellas just uh, touch 
so many people's lives. Just a great guy. But anyway, um, tip your hat to Uncle Forey. Anyway, uh, let's get back to John Saxon. Yeah, well, well, get this list of movies. It's just incredible. 1973's in Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee. Right? And then the next year, he does Black Christmas. He does some episodes of Gunsmoke and the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Damn. In 1979, John was in this movie called The Glove. And it's got Rosie Greer in it. Rosie Greer is this guy who runs guy who puts on this armor and he puts on this glove and he goes around and kills people. It's a crazy movie. John's in that. In 1980s in a movie called Cannibal Apocalypse. Oh. And he's in a movie in 1981. He plays another cop. John liked to play a lot of cops. I like to put them in the rule of police officers like he is in this one. And then there's a movie called Blood Beach about these monsters that live under the sand and they eat people. And he's in that. And he's also in uh, Dario Argento's uh, Tenebri in 1982. Uh, he was in a Nightmare on Elm Street, the, the, the first one in 1984, and he played a lieutenant, another cop in that one. So in 1996, he, he played a uh, uh, an FBI agent in uh, Robert Rodriguez and uh, 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 Quentin Tarantino's uh, From Dusk Till Dawn. So, you know, he's just in there. He's still doing it. He's still out there doing it. He's great. Uh, John Saxon. Jess, this is Lieutenant Fuller, and I'm sorry. Uh, Graham, Bill Graham. Are you the person who called the station today? Yes. I would like to put a tap on your phone, but we'll need your written permission to do that if it's okay with you. Okay. Okay, Graham, you can go ahead. And I'd like to see Claire Harrison's room. Sure. Where's the telephone? Uh, there's one in the living room and one here in the hall. Claire's room's up here. How's it going? You about finished? Yeah, what I've done is I've tapped this phone so that when it rings, it'll ring at the station house, too. At the same time, I'll be at the phone company checking on the location of the source of the call. Are there any other phones in the house? Uh, yes, the house mother has a line. Yeah, but it's another number and there haven't been any calls in it. You're going to have to keep this guy on the line as long as possible. we got a mechanical system here and it takes a while. I know it's not very pleasant, but... Uh, girls, can I show you something? See the car outside? Yeah. We've got one of our men in it, so you've got nothing to worry about. Yeah, sure. Hello? Yeah, they were playing Black Christmas on the big screen. 
And the same night that that remake that I said I'd never talk about, well, I'm just going to bring it up this one more time. That remake was playing the same night. It was premiered doing its big Hollywood premiere, and they invited Bob Clark, the, the, the movies, uh, the people who remade the big Hollywood directors who remade this Black Christmas movie, and they invited Bob Clark to do it. And my friend told me that he blew off the remake so he could attend the screening of the original Black Christmas at this uh, old beat-up old uh, theater that's uh, down off uh, Beverly Boulevard in, uh, in uh, Los Angeles. So that's pretty fun, man. Bob Clark, man, he just said, to hell with the big Hollywood. I'm going to watch my old, my old Black Christmas with my friends and people I knew. So Bob Clark, man, what a hell of a guy. Uh, just a couple months later after that, in April of uh, 2007, he was hit by a drunk driver, and you know, him, and, him and his son died. Well, I hope Party Boy is still alive and fellow killed Bob Clark. I, I, I hope he's alive, and I hope he has bone cancer, and he's really dying a slow, horrible, terrible death because you're just an asshole and you killed Bob Clark. Now, this DVD I, DVD I have is part of the Critical Mass Collector's Edition, and it's got the original poster on it. Uh, and that's with Claire Harrison sucking in a bag of plastic. Uh, sitting in around a wreath and it says Black Christmas. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. <laughs> All right, now. Wait a minute. I think I hear the phone ringing. What the hell could this be? Hello? Fuck you, you cock-sucking motherfucking cunt. Eat my penis, you motherfucking little sleazy cunt, you cock-sucking bastard. Goddamn, you motherfucking little you stupid Mexican! Shit, you got no brains at all, you motherfucking cunt! You sleazy cunt, Mexican penis! God damn, I don't believe you, you sleazy, slimy, dripping cunt! Horror cunt! Fuck you, you horror cunt! Fuck, fuck! It is easy to understand that so many years ago, on that crisp and starlit night, Joseph and Mary came to that dreary little town, so tired and worn, on Christmas Eve. No one knew there was going to be a little stranger born in a manger on that starlit night. They had such a time trying to find a place where God's Son would be born. People in those days were as evil as today. Do you think, after all these years, there is still no room for the stranger in our lives today? Let us celebrate his birthday by giving that stranger a place in his house, by showing his love. Christ is not that helpless little stranger in the manger anymore. Won't we ever understand? He is ruler over all our land. Oh, how happy we would be if we would only welcome that stranger, born in a manger, long ago.
If you're mighty thirsty for something mighty good, our hot chocolate's just the drink. It's a beverage and a food. Get hot chocolate and see just how good a drink can be. Hi, this is Eddie Cochran, speaking from the station with a big sound all year round. Now, old Santa Claus just might be a little late this year. His reindeer are crying Christmas tears. Robert necrophiliac type. Uh, I don't think there's 
there's not really nothing wrong with that, but he got in a lot of trouble for it. You just gotta know what you're doing when you do it. Don't be stupid about it or you're going to get yourself in trouble. But anyway, um, uh, Ed Gein was quite a piece of work. Now, um, this movie is, uh, this, uh, the character in this movie is called Ezra Cobb, and so they kind of take liberty with parts of the story and do different things in it. Like, I, I'm not sure if uh, Ed Gein actually held a seance with a, with a woman and then end up uh, killing her, but in the, Ezra Cobb does in this movie. I mean, Ed Gein's uh, real-life story is that real, it's real much more horrible than most uh, horror movies really get to be. I mean, he cut a girl and dressed her. He went after he killed that Bing Bernie's Warden girl. He took her and he hung her up like you do a deer, and he cut her from uh, from uh, asshole to, to the to throat and just gutted her from uh, just uh, gutted her and hung her upside down. And then they found all kinds of crazy stuff in her house, like in his house, like uh, uh, bowls full of noses and uh, uh, nipples that he made. You know what? I'm gonna let you. This is a, I'm gonna play you a little interview right now. This is a little a clip of a uh, uh, one of the cops who happened to be on the case, and he's gonna tell you a little bit about some of the things that they found at Eddie Gein's house. Let's listen in. Yeah, in Madison, Wisconsin. Would, are you in a position to clarify the issue as to precisely what items were found in the house? Well, there were a lot of things. Uh, the one thing he had a sort of an apron that he made out of the front of a woman, which he wore on occasion. There were chairs upholstered in human skin. Uh, there were, there was, of course, without any question, the finest collection of female heads and the genital parts that's ever been assembled in the United States. I've made some checks on that. I can't find anyone who does complete a job as Ed did on that. Some skulls. He had a great love for uh, noses. He had uh, noses that weren't connected with faces, although he did have heads that were shrunken. Uh, he also had a belt made out of nipples, female nipples, and uh, he had these skulls that he had uh, opened. Or Tom Sims. I'm a newspaper columnist. Several years ago, I covered firsthand the 
incredible story you are about to see recreated in this motion picture. It is a human horror story of ghastly proportions and profound reverberations. But because it is human, perhaps we can learn something from it. Something of ourselves, of our own fears and needs. But please, let me warn you, the events have been recreated in detail. Nothing has been left to the imagination. It is not a story for the squeamish or the faint-hearted. Now that you stand warned, we can proceed with our story. It is the story of Ezra Cobb, murderer, grave robber, necrophiliac perhaps, or as you may remember him from those stories of long ago, the Butcher of Woodside. When Ez was 10, his father died. For the next 15 years, Ez and his mother worked the farm by themselves, growing more dependent on each other with the passage of time. Then Amanda Cobb suffered a paralyzing stroke which crippled her body from the waist down and left her bedridden. Ez brought her downstairs, sealing off the upstairs room so he could be closer to her. For 12 years, he slept outside her door, waiting on her, feeding her, bathing her, reading to her, comforting her. To his neighbors, he was a devoted son. But that devotion masked a growing psychosis which came to the surface when his mother died. Let's cut to now a sick little scene of Ed at his mom's deathbed. Mama. I'm dying and that's all there is to it. No, you just need some rest is all. Oh, you be quiet and listen to me. If I go into a coma, don't take me to no hospital. I want to die in my own bed, my own room. With you here. If you need any help later, after I'm gone, call Maureen Selby. Say it now, Ez. Maureen Selby. Oh, Maureen Selby. Maureen's the only woman I ever did trust. She's fat, that's why. A big heifer. But she's the only good-hearted woman I ever knew. As for the rest of them, a lot of filthy black-souled sluts with pus-filled sores and... Yes. Yes. I... I can't breathe. You want to be all right? Just need something to eat. That's all. Ed keeps shoveling this split pea soup looking stuff into her face. It's a real sick scene. You won't die. Honest. Please, Mama. Please, Mama, don't leave me. Mama, don't bleed. Don't bleed. Uh, now we cut to the funeral and there's Ed and everyone's coming up to him and consoling him. She looks nice, Ed. Real natural. You'd think she was just sleeping. 
to use. That's all it is. Just sleep. A month passed, six months, a year. Still, Ezra refused to accept the death of his mother. He visited her grave as often as four or five times a week. And at home, at home he continued as though she were only away on a trip. He kept her room neat and clean and made sure the stove was always going so it would be warm when she returned to him. He dreamed about her and in his despair even wrote letters to her. To the outside world, Ez was, oh, a little eccentric maybe, but basically a normal, decent guy. He quit farming altogether and hired on as a general handyman for his neighbors, and especially his good friend, Harlan Coots. Come on, it's time to go. Okay, Mom. Bye. But the loneliness within him had grown to a vast abyss, and the pain of his loss at last pushed him over the precipice and into madness. When are you coming home again? I'm real lonesome, Mama. There's nothing but snow and snow and snow. And the wind blowing and blowing and blowing. And it's so cold. And I miss you with all my heart. Amen. If you miss me so much, why don't you come and bring me home? Mama! Mrs. Mom sounds a little like Jonathan Winters. You're ashamed of yourself, leaving me here more than a year now. All alone, here in the dark, shame is. Mama, I wrote to you. Don't get no letters here. Now why don't you come and bring me home? Bring me home. Bring me home. I'm coming, Mama! And so he went to bring her home. And now we cut to Ez, and he's driving in his truck down to the graveyard to get his mother. Perhaps in his twisted mind, he imagined she would look the way she had in life. I'm taking you home, Mama. Home. Get you to bed. You need to lie back down. Fix you up. You won't even know yourself. Honest. See your room? 
just like it used to be. now. Now he intended to restore. And to that purpose, he began reading everything he could about embalming, taxidermy. But it wasn't an easy job. His mother had been buried for over a year now. There were lots of repairs to make. He tried to patch her with fish skin, with wax, with any substance which he thought resembled human flesh. It wasn't until later that the idea of using real flesh occurred to him. Ironically enough, it was his friend and neighbor who accidentally gave him the inspiration. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for this food. Amen. Oh, and please take good care of old Miss Johnson. <laughs> Pass the bread to Ezra, will you, Brad? What's right with old Miss Johnson? She kicked the bucket. She didn't kick the bucket. She passed away. My Miss Johnson? My old Sunday school teacher? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very same one. I don't believe that. Well, it's right here in today's paper. Here it is. Let me see that. Yeah, the funeral was this afternoon. That lady taught me all through Sunday school and in the sixth grade. Taught Ez, too. Remember that, Ez? Back in sixth grade? <laughs> you call her old flannel face. Remember that, Ez? No, sir. Yeah, that's her. All right. Here, I remember her, Ed. Well, that's... That's old Miss Johnson there. What's she doing in the newspaper? Well, dang it, Ed, I just told you, she's dead. You mean they put her in the... in the paper just because she's dead? <laughs> What's the matter with you, Ed? That's your dang obituary. Or what? I don't tell me you don't know what's an obituary. Don't beat off. Well, look, when a buddy dies, they take all the information and they put it in the newspaper in the obituary section. And it tells when the funeral is and where they're being buried and all that kind of stuff. You mean I can find out where and when somebody been buried? On the very same day? Right at the end of the tunnel, all right. Yes, sir. You're right, as. Well, I'm going to look into that. I'd rather read the sports section myself. Not me. This here could be real valuable information. Why? Right, what are you planning to do? Dig them up or something? No, sir. Wouldn't have to dig it all up. Well, I'm sure glad to hear that. Sure, why dig it all up when you can take the parts you need? Sure, maybe like... Like if you need the head for repairs or something. Well, then... Hi, Miss Johnson. 
Remember me? I used to be in a Sunday school class. Look, Mama. I brought you a visitor. Bet you two ladies have a lot to talk about. After that, Ezra made many visits to the graveyard, bringing home bodies, or parts of bodies, to keep his mother and himself company. He was a ghoul, a necromaniac, a defiler of the dead. But he had not yet turned his sickness on a living victim. It was only a matter of time until he did. Now he began to seek the companionship of women. He sought it in strange places, none stranger than Goldie's Tavern. Her name was Mary Ransom. She was 34 years old and, if truth were told, a little over the hill. But Ezra had never seen a woman like her before, beautiful, promiscuous, with a constant promise of being available, even perhaps to him. How would you like to tear off a piece of that, eh? Huh? Boy, if I had a chance, I'd bang her brains out. Look at that ass. And look at them tits, both of them. I seen tits and I seen tits from Portugal to Yokohama. Now let me tell you, those are tits with a capital T. If I was an old man, goddammit, I'd be into her pants so fast as to make your head swim. <laughs> That's the trouble, you get old. Can't get it up anymore. Just sit there looking at it, hanging limp as a turkey neck. Uh, hell with it. Life's a pain and God's a sadist.
season Hear ye, hear ye, all is swell And there's a very good reason The bell ringer's sale is on at Montgomery Ward A real ring-a-ding-dinger sale is on at Montgomery Ward You'll sing and rave about the money you save And all the things you could afford The bell ringer's sale is on Come on in the Montgomery Ward T'was the night before Christmas When all through the shed All the creatures were stirring Even old Ed The bodies were hung from the rafters above While Eddie was searching for another new love He went to Watoma for a Plainfield deal Looking for love and also a meal When what to his hungry eyes should appear But old Mary Hogan in her new red brassiere Her eyes, how they twinkle, ever so gay And her dimples, oh, how merry were they Her cheeks were like roses when kissed by the sun And she let out a scream at the sight of Ed's gun Old Ed pulled the trigger and Mary fell dead He took out an axe and cut off her head Then he took his hacksaw and cut her in two One half for hamburger, the other for stew And laying a hand aside of her heel Up to the rafters went his next meal He sprang to his truck, to the graveyard he flew. The hours were short, and there's much work to do. He looked for a grave where the fattest one laid, and started digging with a shovel and spade. He shoveled and shoveled and shoveled some more, till he finally reached an old coffin door. He took out a crowbar and pried open the box. He was not only clever, but sly as a fox. And as he picked up the body and cut off her head, he could tell by the smell that the old girl was dead. He filled in the grave by the moonlight above, and once more old Ed had found a new love. He let out a yell as he drove out of sight, and if I don't get caught, I'll be back tomorrow night. Thrilling as a solo dash, the store where values are really high. For skis and skates and hockey sticks, here's the store the champion picks. If you're a real sports-minded guy, here's the sports store you should try. Drop in, and you will win. Well, it's time to say goodbye or good night here at the Haunted Shack Theater Show. Again, I want to thank uh, everybody who's what's been supporting the show and uh, whatnot. And uh, anyway, I'm talking too much. Time for me to go. Have a good time. I'll see you next time on the Haunted Shack Theater Show. <laughs> Be with us next Saturday night at 11:15 for another action-packed thriller on Shock. <laughs>